What's a pleasure? I, I count it an honor every time I get a get a stand in the pulpit and preach the word of God. So I thank you all for uh, for being here today, and I hope that uh, God blesses you as uh, He did me as I was studying this week. You know, for those of us that have been born again, I believe every one of us at one time or another in our journey has sensed the Spirit of God prodding us to do something that we either feel very uncomfortable with or extremely unqualified to do. Today we're going to take a look at a passage where the Lord's disciples had these very same feelings of inadequacy. Jesus would command them to do something that they knew they physically couldn't pull off. You know, when you come to the point, when you have nothing left but God, it's only then that you become aware of the fact and truth that God is enough. Let's go ahead and let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into His Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You so much for the honor and privilege, Lord, we have to open up Your Word and study this morning. God, I pray that You would grant me utterance. Lord, I pray that my words, my thoughts, Lord, I pray everything that would come out of my mouth, Lord, would come from you. And God, for those in the pews this morning, Lord, I pray you'd open up their hearts and their minds for what you have for them this morning. God, I pray there would not be one leave here this morning, Lord, that wouldn't be challenged by what you have. God, I thank you that your word is alive. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that you've given it to us, Lord. There's an assurance, Lord, of who you are and what you want to do. So, God, I pray, the time that we have left, Lord, I pray that it would truly be a time that would glorify and honor you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. All right, if you haven't already turned there, if you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, is where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 14. Actually, I'm going to start reading up at the first part of the chapter. I'm going to read down through the first 15 verses here. It says, At the time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and he said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John, and had bound him, and put him in prison, and for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when, when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they had counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head and a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at me. And he commanded to be given her, and he sent and beheaded John in prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. 
And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. The time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Well, I went ahead and jumped up to the first verse. I believe, you know, before we can truly understand what's going on here in the text that we're going to examine this morning, is we've got to put it into context of everything that has been taking place. Our Lord's just heard a couple of things that's disturbed Him pretty deeply. I mean, first and foremost, His first cousin's just been murdered. And as we read it, you know, it was at the hands of Herod, you know, at the request of Herodias. I mean, there was an inappropriate relationship that John had called him on. And he didn't like what he was telling him. And he said, you know what, I don't like this guy to begin with. He said, you know, just whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll give you. Herod also knew that John had, a, you know, quite a following of people. And so he had to handle this situation fairly carefully. It's not stated in this text this morning, but Mark and Luke go so far to state the disciples, you know, tell the Lord, you know, what they had done concerning the Lord's body. And after he was killed, Jesus' disciples would go request his body and, and give him the proper burial. So to say that this had been a tough day would be a complete understatement. If you were to go and rate their days of ministry thus far, probably today was the worst day. It would rate right up there. The second thing that would have you know, been weighing heavy on the Lord was the news that Herod somehow thought Jesus was John incarnate. A reincarnation of John. And it wasn't fearful that, you know, that Jesus wouldn't have been fearful of, of dying himself. But he also knew his time was short. His time had not yet come. His earthly ministry was just beginning. So with all that in mind, knowing his men were in need of getting away, the Bible tells us they got into a ship and they went to a secluded place where they could just get a break. And as they would have been going, the death of John would have been weighing heavy on the entire group. And upon leaving the city, it didn't take the people all that long to figure out that Jesus had left, and so it is men. And you've got to know that his disciples' hearts probably weren't near as joyous and compassionate as Jesus as they looked and saw the people start coming on him again. Probably their hearts sunk somewhat. But the Bible tells us, as our Lord looked upon the people that were coming out to Him, that He had compassion on them. Mark goes so far, he states that Jesus looked on the people as, a, as sheep without a shepherd. He knew they were lost. He knew that they were their own worst enemies. He knew the reality of their situations that they were in. He knew that He was their one and only hope. 
So as he looked out to them, he's, he, his heart broke for them. He saw, he, he saw them with eyes of compassion. And being moved with compassion, the Bible tells us that, our, that the Lord began to heal the sick and minister to them. And the Bible tells us, as we read this morning, as the day was coming to a close, the disciples start encouraging the Lord, you know, Lord, it's time to break this thing up. We need to send the people home, saying, go get some, something to eat and find a place to stay. It didn't take them very long to figure out that they, there was no way that they could come up with enough food to feed this crowd. And really, what was the point in them getting away in the first place? was to get away from people and to get some rest and some quiet. They'd come away to get away. And this, had, this day had turned out to be anything but that. You know, their attitude that they were displaying here would have been fueled by human logic. It only made sense. But what they were failing to take into account here was who was with them. Go with me down to the 16th verse. We see a dilemma arises here. He says, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give you them to eat. And they, and they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them hither to me. You know, you can almost imagine what had been going through their minds. As the Lord would tell them, there's no reason for the crowd to go anywhere. In fact, the Lord tells me, he said, no, he said, in fact, we're going to feed them. We're going to give them something to eat. And between all of them, all they could muster up was two fish and five loaves of bread. You know, it's commonly thought that they got the fish and food from a boy, you know, it's become, you know it's because it was customary for young children to take food and sell it to crowds when they would gather, you know, but the, you know, and that's not specifically stated here in this text. But John sheds a little more light on that. In John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, John states that the disciple that is doing actually the question here is Peter Andrew's it's Peter's brother Andrew, and that the fish and loaves did come from a little boy. So you can almost sympathize with the panic that these men would have been feeling as they come to this reality. This is all we got. I don't know about anyone else, you know, but the, you know, the tendency for me when I come into a situation like that, it's natural for me to try to come up with some kind of viable solution. Start trying to think things through. But the two fish that they had would have been dried fish. They'd have been jerked fish. Not all that much fish. So you know, as the Lord's saying, you know, the people don't need to go anywhere. Bring me what you got. We'll feed them anyway. You know, the guy, his disciples would have saying, you've got to be kidding me, Lord. This is all we got. You know, before we get too critical of these men, let me ask you something. How many times has the Lord asked you to do something for Him when you saw absolutely no way of getting it done? We might think the Lord has got a handle on it. 
Yeah, he can do that. But we have not, we can't even fathom the idea he might use us to do it. You know, as I was studying this week, it, it, re, it brought me back to the time whenever the Lord had uh, actually called me to preach. I was a kid who hated speech class. I'd never even had taught a Sunday school class. Public speaking wasn't what I did. So as I felt the Lord call me to preach, I almost had that, are you kidding me? I don't know. I've never done anything like that. But you know when the Lord asks us to do something that we can't accomplish, we think we can't accomplish. You know it's our natural tendency to start doling out the excuses of why we can't? Well, Lord, I, I, don't, I, 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 I don't have the qualifications. I'm way too busy. Don't have near enough time to commit to that. Resources. Maybe it's financially. God, I, I just don't know. Let me say something here. God's looking to use the unqualified, the untalented, the busy, and financially strapped people to work here. So they have absolutely no reason to get any of the credit, but He does. You know what the Bible says? You know when we're at our lowest, weakest point, that's when he's the strongest. And the Lord gives him a simple command. He says, bring me what you got. He wasn't concerned with what they didn't have. He said, bring me what you have. He wanted his disciples to, to see firsthand what he could do with just a little. What a reminder for us even today. You know, the excuses we give the Lord for not serving Him in the way that we ought in reality is pretty pathetic because He doesn't need much to work with. Jesus was testing His disciples in the area of obedience. He was testing them in the area of faith. Bring me what you got, fellas. I don't care what you don't have. And he was testing them with their willingness to put others' needs before their own. Because no doubt they were just as hungry as the crowd was. No doubt they probably could have stood to eat that food that they were giving to the Lord. But after Jesus would feed the crowd, there wouldn't be one disciple present this day that'd be able to take credit for what would take place. This truly would be a day they'd never forget. Go with me to the 19th verse. We see just unimaginable results. And, and the Bible says, And he commanded them, multitudes, to sit down on the grass. 
And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. He commands the crowd to sit down on the grass. And you got to know that his disciples you know, had to help in this venture. Because Luke goes so far to tell us there were 5,000 men present this day. That's not counting the women and children. So the size of the crowd was quite large. So his disciples would have been an integral part of getting this crowd seated in an orderly fashion. Luke was the detail guy. He, he goes on to say that he, the Lord had him group them in groups of 50. There was nothing, I mean absolutely nothing done that was done disorderly. We read that this morning in 1 Corinthians 14. God is not the God of confusion. He does everything decently. He does everything in order. And then the Bible says Jesus took the loaves and the two fish looked up into heaven and blessed them. He didn't want anyone present this day to confuse where the blessing that was about to happen would originate from. My guess is, it's not stated, but I bet the crowd had no idea how little of food they actually had. The only ones that knew with all certainty were his disciples. And after blessing the food, the Bible tells us that Jesus broke it and divided it amongst his disciples. And in turn, they distributed what they had to the crowd. Can you picture, I was just thinking about this this week as I was studying, two jerked fish spread between 12 of them. be a pinch of fish, wouldn't it? A little bit of bread. But the Bible tells us in the 20th verse that they did all eat and were filled. Isn't that awesome? You got to wonder when it dawned on his disciples as they were distributing what little they had to distribute, the truth that their baskets never, ever depleted. You would have think that they would have noted this, this fairly quickly. Probably as they were getting started, they probably thought, well, this isn't going to take very long. And they go to the next person, and the next person, and so on and so forth. And their baskets never depleted. And not only did, you know, and the miracle here to me is not everyone, not only did everyone get something to eat, everyone ate to their fill. Astounding. Even his disciples ate to their fill. But go with me back to verse 20. This to me is the, the best part of the whole story. And they took up the fragments that remained. Twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The amazement continued. 
Not only did everybody eat till they were full, but the Bible tells us that there was leftovers and there was 12 full baskets. I can almost picture brimming baskets. And there's not one disciple that was present this day that could have denied what the Lord had just done. Because they had collected more food than they had to distribute before they started. The Lord had demonstrated to everyone present this day that he was more than competent in supplying their physical needs. But he was also demonstrating the fact he was their every need. He was more than sufficient in taking care of the, their, their greatest need and their spiritual needs. Everyone that was present this day was in need of what he had to supply. And whether or not anyone else present this day got it, his disciples did. They, they got it big time. And these 12, they, they were the closest to him, knew it. And these would be the same guys that would turn the known world upside down with the gospel after he would ascend back into heaven. In fact, they would be so convinced of what they had to preach was the truth that every one of them would die a martyr's death except for the John. Historians, you know, believe that he was the only one that actually would die of natural causes, but that in no way means he escaped persecution. Because when he was banished to the Alice of Patmos, you know, he was burned in a vat of hot oil. But yet, yet God would preserve his life. His disciples would have to hang on to the wonderful truth of Jesus being all-sufficient in the up-and-coming years in order that they could remain faithful right up to the very end. Let me tell you something, church. It hasn't changed. He's still all-sufficient. He's still all we need. You know, so many times we look into the Bible and we read about stories like this. We, we read about the David and Goliath. We read, you know, about Samuel. We read about these different men. And we, you know, and we, we try, we, our, our natural tendencies to elevate them, you know, but in reality, his disciples were nothing more than ordinary men. They were just common Joes. And yet they had the faith to absolutely leave everything and everyone that they knew in order to completely follow Him. That was a big deal. They had to leave their friends. They left their families. They left their hometowns. They walked away from their professions. All in faith. Following the one that they believed and knew was their answer.
And it would be days like this day. There would be a tremendous encouragement to them that they had made the right choice. The right decision in following Jesus. And it would give them the faith to endure until Jesus would call them home. Let me tell you something, church. God's people today need that same resolve. You know when times get tough? Even God's people tend to flee rather than stand. When we need to be standing in the gap, testifying of His greatness and His goodness and His grace. If I could leave you with an encouraging thought today, it'd be this. We still serve the God of miracles. He's still alive and well. And He can and still able to take us through any storm this life has to offer. And he's still looking for faithful servants that are willing to stand in the face of whatever the circumstances are. That are willing to testify of his goodness in spite of. So let me ask you one question and I'll close. Are you willing to let him use you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray you grant us the faith that we need to be faithful. God, I pray we'd be a people to be willing to stand no matter what the cost. God, I pray that if there's, if there's some here today, Lord, even within the sound of my voice, Lord, that have been just giving you nothing but excuse after excuse after excuse why you can't use them. God, I pray that today would be a day that they would lay their excuses at the foot of your cross and just let you do what you want to do. God, I thank you that uh, you aren't limited with what you have to work with. God, I thank you that uh, you're, you're able to do, accomplish uh, your will, Lord, even with a little, Lord, when, when you have the likes of us to work with. God, I thank you for that. God, I pray we'd be a people who would humbly submit to your call in our lives and when you call us home, Lord. Lord, we know that you'll be the one that ultimately gets the glory for what you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.